is episode three of our four-part series, No Voice Goes Unheard. This episode is titled Emotional Toll. So, Trevor, episode two, which we had last week, was about the Wilkinson Report. And it dealt with what was going on behind the scenes that sparked this entire investigation. And what a lot of people had not yet heard is Megan's full story. Yeah, and so uh, Megan's story was a firsthand account of the lewd videos that were put together allegedly for Dan Snyder and at the behest of Larry Michael. On this day that the story was coming out in the Washington Post, Larry Michael suddenly retired. Yeah, and that came out of nowhere, right? That surprised yeah, everybody. Just, just all of a sudden, he retires, and he had been the the voice of the yeah, fan. He'd been exactly. the face of the fan. He was everywhere, and just all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I retire. Yeah. Yep. So then, Megan, Anna, Rachel, and Emily all spoke about their hopes of what would come out of the investigation, and more importantly, the effects of having to relive that trauma of what they went through while they were members of the organization. Yeah, and Stoner, that's pretty much what episode three is all about. Um, We read about it, we hear about it, and it affects all of us to realize how these people were being treated, or should I say mistreated. Mm -hmm. Um, However, we didn't actually go through it. We didn't actually live the experiences. Um, We were just on the outside looking in. So just imagine the, the emotional toll it took on all those who did go through this. How are you just handling it, waking up every day, going to work and how are you how are you doing that i'm good i'm good and i appreciate that question even though you know for for me i usually hate being asked are you okay (laughs) um that's like that's the question that i'm just like do not ask me that but um i do like how you asked it and you know i'm i'm honestly doing really good and and i say that from the bottom of my heart there wasn't a lot that i could do in public um when this would happen just because you know, what, what are you going to say to Larry Michael, who is the face and the voice of the fan um, in front of your own clients? So there would become times where I actually, my job was hindered because I would do everything that I could to avoid him at all costs. So I would be planning my event, but I would ask uh, male coworkers to do stuff for me. I would just ask them to walk with me or sit next to me so I wouldn't have to endure some of this behavior, not only from him, but from uh, some of the other um, executive teams, uh, team members, and uh, other staff members. The unfortunate part is that everybody would just sit there, stare, look, watch the tears roll down my face, and nobody ever did anything about it. So emotionally is a tough question. I think my emotions for the past 15, almost 16 months now have been kind of raw. It depends on the day. It depends on what's coming out. You kind of had to go into survival mode and not just yourself. And I think that's another thing is that we all would hear this and see it. And like, you know, it got to a point where you would have to kind of play it off and brush it off your shoulders because you knew nothing was getting done. I was very angry about my experience there because I was really on the path to my dream job in sports. I was working, obviously, for an NFL team. I was planning events for an NFL team, which is exactly what I wanted to do with my career. And I was, you know, I was getting so close to just having the experience to be in charge of something like that one day. And 
um, you know, that was all basically taken away from me because of the behavior of other people. When I had to basically lay it all out for the investigation team, honestly, that was the beginning of my healing. So I had stopped working with the team in January of 2019, but honestly, I can't say until it was August of, of 2020 that I finally started to really heal from that situation um, to, to, to kind of look back at the trauma because, you know, that's what it is. And also be able to tell myself like, okay, now you have to unlearn some of these, these things, right? Like if someone raises their voice, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're taking it out on you. And if someone's raising their voice, the next words are out of their mouth are most likely not going to be, I'm going to punch you in the face, right? Yeah. So I had to unlearn some of these bad habits that I'd experienced for so long and really just kind of grow from that and, and heal. And, and I think that's one of the things, you know, the term survivor is, is what I consider myself because I did survive the place. Um, I'm out and I'm, I'm in a happier place now, but also just surviving those those instances that really affected me that I didn't even realize that they affected me. And, and, you know, misery loves company. And that's how I felt, you know, my last few months there, not even last few months, last few weeks, honestly, it was the last three weeks that I was like, I'm miserable. I don't like this place. I don't like what, where it's going. So, you know, myself, you know, leaving was the best thing for me. I've been in therapy since that my first article has gone out. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that conversation with my therapist because she was like, oh, this is interesting. It's something new. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It's crazy because I didn't um, really ever get emotional, upset or anything like that until Tanya Snyder's comments recently where she alluded to the fact that we were not telling the truth she said that the stories were ridiculous, so she needed to stop reading them. And she mentioned how terrible it's been for her and her family. And that's what got me. It was just a very unprofessional environment, one that really took a, took a toll on some of our self-esteem and our self-worth. On top of that, it was also a culture that was very pervasive in demeaning people when it came to either insulting their intelligence, um, projects that can be done well. I know that there's multiple commentary around, you know, even working a printer or something really seems very petty. Um, on top of that, very, very long um, work hours, low pay, and overall just a really bullying sort of um, demeaning organization for all people, including men. Men were definitely bullied, embarrassed, um, as well as a part of this. In my head, I was thinking of all the people that I knew that could not speak and haven't been able to through this whole situation from, you know, when they were um, interviewing people for the article, as well as the investigation itself. I know people who either spoke to one or the other or both or neither, and they just haven't been able to say, my name is, and I'm a former employee. So... You know, once the question started coming out and they're asking me my name, you know, part of me was I was I was terrified. I was shaking underneath. I was like mm. not ready for it. But at the same time, I, I chose to fight. That was my fight or flight moment. And I chose to fight. I said very proudly my name, my association with the organization, what I was doing there, which is trying to get this report released. So from that trauma comes a sense of healing. 
And the best way, or one of the best ways, I would say, to heal is to have support from those who went through the same things that you did. So people who understand what you're going through. And for Megan, Anna, Emily, and Rachel, they found that conviction to keep going from the support of each other. Having Melanie and Megan and, and Rachel, especially, because Rachel's one of my best friends and we work together. <laughs> Um, you know, most of my time there, she was there. And then I crossed a little over with Emily, but, you know, she's the one that essentially to me started this really. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those four, and then having the support of, of the, of our law firm and, and the legal support, but even the day after, you know, I, I did have to go into work and, you know, I, there's very few people that knew that I worked at the team. Um, and then there's very few, few people who knew what had happened to me <laughs> um, during my time there. So to hear them, you know, the next morning being like, oh, we're proud of you. You know, we're, we're really, you know, let us know what we can do or just any sort of support and acknowledgement, honestly, um, you know, to me really, really pushed me. And as, as well as my friends and, and my former colleagues who I I still call my friends, you know, we especially shared a lot of our, our traumatic experiences together and, and having them say things to me, you know, they're the ones I'm, I'm really doing this for, um, as well as, you know, for, for all the young girls and, and young women, as well as veterans in the work for, in the workforce where, you know, they feel like they're not in a safe place, um, that they're enduring certain situations like this, you know, you, you shouldn't right there's no there's no rhyme or reason to to be going to work and experiencing this every day so you know i'm doing it for them too but um i do get up in the morning and you know i i do have thoughts of like you know questioning myself of course but you know i kind of walk myself through it of you know this is why you're doing it you know and and it's not going to be easy i i don't expect it to be over tomorrow either i know that I'm in this for, for the long haul. So, you know, I'm ready to fight. Um, I, I said that last week and I'm, I'm still in it. So, um, you know, that's kind of what's been keeping me going so far. So the support of the other women that have spoken out on record has been tremendous. And we, you know, we communicate on a daily basis, even before the emails were leaked, we were in communication a lot. I'm really grateful for the other ladies that are on record and um, someone like Brad Baker, who I do often keep in touch with, who can't speak out, but he did come out very, very boldly about the owner directing those, you know, for those videos. But I, I'm, I'm appreciative of that support system. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important for this report to come out is that people can have their experiences validated as well. Like, I think I've been able to begin the healing process, if you will, um, because I'm able to share and talk with the other ladies that are on record. It is exhausting to have to keep telling this story and reliving it, but I have a very good, the, everyone that you guys have interviewed before, um, we are a huge support system to each other. So we know when we need to take a mental break and we are always checking in on each other. So it helps to have that support system around me um, to be able to lend my voice and one of the reasons why I think I lasted so long at the Washington football team is I felt like I had an obligation to the women um, who worked for me and after me to try and change the culture. 
I naively thought that if I could endure things and shield them and make my way up, that I would help be able to change it for future uh, female staff. Um, and I think that, you know, the emotional toll is there, but I still feel like I have this calling to make sure that this doesn't keep happening. Stoner, you know, we can't even begin to understand what they've gone through and what they're still going through to this day. Uh, but, you know, we can give them a platform, as we have done, to try to explain to all of us who are misformed and mis misguided what it is they're actually dealing with. Next week on the series finale of No Voice Goes Unheard. I think we really need to put pressure not only on the NFL to release their findings to the Oversight Committee, but on all of our Congress people to look into this because it's, it's an uh, American problem.